Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. I don't know if you've noticed, just like me, over the last several days and weeks, and you know, I've been seeing a lot of mentions of the end of the year. You see a lot of things towards the end of every single year about, you know, what a year it was and the things that happened this year, and you look back on the year that happened, and but this year especially is kind of a little bit different because it is 2019 and next year will be 2020. So a lot of people are calling this the end of a decade, right? We're leaving the, you know, the teen years, if you will, 2017, 2018, 2019. And we'll be heading into the 20s, right? Starting in a couple of days, we'll be saying we're in 20. And then 21 and 22, the year 20 and 21, and we'll be getting into those years. And so it kind of feels like we're, we're moving on to a new decade. And so I've been seeing a lot of things about looking back, you know, a recap of this last year and a recap of this past decade and, you know, a rewind and, and, and all of these different kinds of things. And you see the best of 2019, and you see the best of uh, the past decade and all of these different kinds of things. And looking back is a lot of fun. I don't know if you've taken a, some time to take a look back, not just on the year, but on the decade. You know, it's kind of fun. You know, you get this feeling of nostalgia and reminiscing about some things that happened really not that long ago. Because 10 years ago, uh, in some ways, doesn't feel that long. And in some ways, when you consider what happened this decade, it feels like so long ago. You know, 10 years ago, who would have thought that Donald Trump would be our president? Right? Ten years ago, nobody was thinking that, and here we are. Donald Trump is our president. Ten years ago, iPads did not exist. Right? Everybody has an iPad, everybody's got a tablet or seen one, or you, know, you use them, and you see them around, they're in schools, you know, people have them. They didn't exist ten years ago. That was introduced in 2011, I believe. We know about the car Tesla, right? Everybody knows Teslas, the Model S, and you've got the Model E, you've got all these, uh, uh, the Model 3, and you've got these different models there. The, the Tesla Model S, you know when it was introduced? Seven years ago. Ten years ago, there were no these, uh, you know, self-driving cars or anything. Uber launched first in San Francisco in 2011. Ten years ago, if you landed at an airport and you needed a ride, you got to call a taxi cab. Remember what those things are, those little yellow cars that you call and they come and pick you up? Yeah, we used to have to do that. On your cell phone, probably most of you have 4G. You know, you've got pretty good internet speed. Ten years ago, we did not have 4G. Ten years ago, we weren't watching videos just walking around. We, we were, you know, in a, in a very primitive state, if you will. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to look back on the past 10 years and, and to be able to know really what is going to happen in the next 10 years, right? Looking back on the past 10 years, we think, oh, wow, look at all of the different things that have happened. And maybe you think back on the things that you should have done because of the things that happened this past decade. And wouldn't it be nice if you could know 10 years from now what will happen and be able to make some decisions based on that? It'd be nice to know if, like my parents, this past decade, they, they wanted to go to Europe, and so they planned this trip. They were going to go to Paris. They were going to go to France. They were going to, you know, my mom and my dad, they were going to get, you know, a week or two away and, and be able to go in, in, in uh, Europe and spend some time together. Wouldn't it be nice to know if during the time that you booked that trip, 
a volcano in Iceland was going to erupt and spew volcanic ash all over the continent. Wouldn't it be nice to know that? And wouldn't it be nice to know so that you didn't have to cancel your trip? That actually happened to my parents. They booked a trip, and then the volcano erupted, and they weren't able to go. They had to cancel their trip. You know, wouldn't it be nice to know, looking back on the, on the, the upcoming decade, to know what the housing market's going to be like? Wouldn't it be nice to know what the stock market's going to do? Wouldn't it be nice to know some of the big and major events and be able to make some of your major life decisions knowing what is coming down the road? It'd be nice to know, right? It'd be nice to know. What's interesting is that we serve a God who knows it all. The God that we serve here at Bible Baptist Church, we as believers who follow the word of God, we serve a God who knows what's going to happen. If you will, God can look back 10 years from now, and right now he knows everything that's going to happen. God knows everything that's going to happen in the next 10 years. God already has that perspective of being able to look back from the future. And wouldn't you know it, he wrote us a book. He wrote us a book called the Bible. And you hold it in your hands. The Bible contains the very beginning, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. And here we are looking at the end. You know the book of Revelation, here we are in Revelation 22. It's, if you read Revelation 22, it's talking about a lot of things that haven't happened yet, right? These things haven't happened. They're going to happen, but they haven't happened yet. And God gives us a few words to help us. Knowing what's going to happen, he wrote us some words to help us what to do right now. If you're going to take some of the big picture things, the big ideas, the most important things to remember, he put them in this book. He might not tell you about a volcano that's going to erupt in Iceland. He may not tell you about some of those kinds of things, but he's going to tell you the most important things that you need to know right now, heading into a new year, heading into a new decade, heading into the rest of your life. I want to take a look at five statements that are given here in Revelation 22. First of all, I see the proclamation. In verse number 16, it begins, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. The proclamation is that Jesus Christ has a message for you. Hey, that's a big thing to remember, that Jesus Christ has a message for you. And that he has sent someone to deliver that message to you. It says in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. God has sent an angel. You know what angels are? You know, we usually think of angels as, you know, white-robed, flying beings, spiritual, you know, in, in the Bible and things like that. And, you know, you have the manger scene, you know, you have the angel that's there. We think about that. But the word angel literally just means messenger. That's what the word angel is. So when you consider the angels of God, we're looking at the messengers of God. They are delivering 
the message that God has. And God has a message for you. That's important to know. Amen? That God has a message for you. Anybody been in a room full of people and you hear that ringtone go off? And it's the exact same ringtone as yours, so you pick up your phone and you look at your phone and it's not for you? Anybody been there? Right? You get a notification, a text message, and you look at it, and you're like, oh, it's not for me. And you look over, some guy over here, you know, he got a text message. You know, he got a message. It's not for you, though. It's for that guy over there or this person over here. You know, sometimes when we come to church, some people can have the feeling of, yeah, there's a message, but it's, it's, it's for that guy over there. Or it's, it's for this person over here. But the message that God has is for you. God's trying to send a message right to you. He has something important to tell you. He has a delivery that is here for you. And it's personalized just for you. It's, if you will, a package that's got your name on it. You know, we get a lot of uh, deliveries here at the church. You know, I, I order things for the church, and you know, other people here, they order things for the church, and you know, if you order off of Amazon, you know when it's coming, right? You get a notification, or you, you check the website, and it lets you know when it's coming in. So usually I know what's coming in, and I want to know when it's coming in. Is it going to get here in time, or when is it going to be here? And every once in a while, I open up a package, and I, I open up the package, and I think, what is this thing? I didn't order this thing. And I, you know, I think maybe my wife ordered this thing. I was like, I don't think my wife ordered this thing. And I, I, I close it, and the, the name is, is wrong. It's for somebody else. <laughs> I've ordered packages and accidentally opened up other people's packages. I've had packages that were mine that were delivered to somebody else. But in verse number 16, he says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. God has sent an angel, a messenger, to you to deliver the message. Did you know that God uses people to deliver his message to other people? Did you know that? Did you know that God's plan to reach the world with the gospel is that he would give the message to someone who is saved and he would take that message and deliver it to somebody who is lost? Did you know that that's God's plan? That is God's plan. God has given us a very important responsibility to take the message to others, amen? And God uses people to deliver the message of God to his people. God uses preachers, God uses teachers, God uses brothers and sisters in Christ to deliver the message to you. It's important that we receive that message, amen? God can send the message, but you have to receive it. You have to open it up. You have to look at it. You have to read it. You have to take it in. How many of us have been guilty of having a text message come in, and we've just ignored it? Anybody been there? Anybody have an email come in? And the email just sits there unread for days, for weeks, for months. It bothers me when I, when I use somebody else's cell phone and they have the mail app. You know how they have that little notification, that little red dot? 
you know, the red dot tells you, hey, there's something new inside. And the mail app tells you how many new things you have inside. Sometimes the number is small, 10, 15. You have 15 new messages, 22 new messages. I've seen people with the number so long it doesn't fit. 5,000 messages, 9,000 messages, 12,000. How do you have 12,000 unread messages in your email box? How do you even look at all of those messages? But I, I wonder sometimes how many of us spiritually have unread messages in our inbox. How many of us have messages that God has been trying to deliver to us and we just haven't read it? We just haven't opened it. We just haven't paid attention. We just haven't been watching and listening and looking. God is trying to send us a message, and that's very important for us to realize, meaning we got to be looking for it. we got to be ready to receive it. we got to be ready to take it in. You know, sometimes we receive a message, and we don't want to open it up because we know there's bad news inside, amen? Right? Somebody sends you a text message, and you're like, oh, no, I think this is a bad text message. I don't want to read it. <laughs> I don't want to read this email. I don't want to open this letter. You know, sometimes we run towards that which feels good, instead of running towards that which does good. You know, it's important for us to emphasize what does good. Sometimes we prioritize too much what feels good over what does good. We want the spiritual sugar. We want the spiritual salt. We want the spiritual fat. We want all of that stuff that just tastes so good. But it's terrible for you. But God has a message for you. That'll help you this year. He knows what's going to happen to you this year. And he has a message for you. That if you would take it and receive it and apply it, you would benefit from it. God has that view of looking back and he has given us a message. We see, first of all, the proclamation. Second of all, what we see is the petition. Verse number 17 says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. There is a petition that is being offered here by God. There is an offer that is given to anyone and everyone that will. Sometimes you see advertisements, you see commercials, sometimes you see, you know, print advertisements, you know, get, they get it mailed to you or get handed to you. And, and sometimes you hear the words, some restrictions apply. You ever been there? Some restrictions apply. Meaning, this offer is for some people, but not everybody. Right? It's for new customers only. It's for only if you live in this area, or whatever the case might be. Some restrictions apply. But the petition that God is giving to every one of us, there are no restrictions that apply. It's available for every single one. And what is that petition? It is simply this. Come to Christ and be saved. That's the petition of Jesus Christ. Come to the Savior and have your sins to be forgiven. To be pardoned and received, to have your sins washed by the blood of the Lamb, to be born again into the family of God, and to have eternal life. And what's interesting is in verse number 17, it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Notice who is the one that is 
giving out the invitation. It is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. God is giving this invitation of come. Those that are lost, that need to be saved, come to the Savior. You can be saved. You can have your sins to be forgiven. But notice also who is saying the same thing. It is the bride. Who is the bride? Well, the bride of Jesus Christ is who? It's the church. We know that the bride is the wife of Christ, of Jesus Christ. And the church is the bride of Christ. So what is the message of the church? If you want to think of it this way, what is the message of Bible Baptist Church? Our message is come to Jesus Christ and be saved. That's the message of our church. The message of our church is come to Christ and have your sins to be forgiven. Come to Christ and go to heaven. Come to Christ. Have your sins to be pardoned. Come to Christ and be redeemed. Come to Christ. That is the message. That is the petition that God is giving out. The word that he uses there in verse number, third, or, um, verse number 17 is, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Those two phrases, those two words, thirst and the water of life, should bring to mind a certain incident that happened in the life of Jesus. John the Apostle wrote the book of Revelation, and he also wrote a gospel, the gospel of John. Same person wrote both of these books. John chapter 4 has an incident where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well. And they begin to have this conversation. Verse number 14 says, But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus says, if you would come to me, I would give you water so that you would never thirst again. And of course, the woman says, sir, give me the water. That's what I want. But notice what Jesus gives. He gives this confrontation of sin. Verse number 16, Jesus saith unto her, oh, you want the water? You want the water of life? You want what I'm offering? Go call thy husband and come hither. What does that have to do with anything? The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus, of course, being God, knows everything. So he says, Jesus has said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, technically, you are correct. Right now, you have no husband. But what he says is, but I know the whole story. Verse 18, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. There's a confrontation of sin. If you want to be saved, you have to confront the sin that is in your life. That you are a sinner. If you are going to be saved, you need to be saved from something. Amen? What is it that you are being saved from? You are being saved from sin. And the wages of sin, and the power of sin. You are being saved from sin. You need to confront the sin. If you are going to be saved, you must come today and acknowledge before God, God, I am a sinner. 
God, I have broken your law. God, I am worthy of the condemnation of sin. There's a confrontation of sin, and there's also this confidence in the scriptures. Verse 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. But then he changes the, she changes the topic. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. It's a fairly common tactic. Well, this is what our fathers say, but this is what you say. Who's right? That's what she's saying. You get that a lot. Well, that's what Bible Baptist Church says. But the, the Mormons over there, they say something different. Well, this is what Bible Baptist Church says. Well, the Muslims, they say something different. This is what Bible Baptist Church says, but... The atheists, they say, none of that is true. Who's right? You say this, they say that, I may believe something different. Who's right? That's an important question to answer, amen? Who's right? Are we right? Are they right? Is nobody right? Who's right? Verse 21, Jesus is the truth. Jesus gives the right answer. Jesus gives his word. You want to know what is right? It is the word that is right. It is the word that God gives to us that is right. The God who knows the end and the beginning gave to us a book telling us all things. His word is true. Verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither worship in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You want to be saved? You have to come to the scriptures. You want to be saved? You have to trust the word of God. You want to be saved? You have to trust what Jesus says and there's a choice that is given regarding the Savior. Verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. You have a choice. Do you trust the, the scriptures that Jesus is who he says that he is? That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. That Jesus is the Son of God. That is the message that God is trying to deliver to every lost soul. This is the message of Bible Baptist Church. That those that are athirst, those that want the water of life, you can come freely. Come to Jesus and be saved. That is the message. That is the message that you need to know heading into 2020. If you're lost, the message that you need to hear and that you need to receive is come to Jesus and be saved. The message that you need for the next decade is come to Jesus and be saved. The message that you need to hear before you die is come to Jesus and be saved. We see the petition. Thirdly, we see the preservation. Verse 18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, 
God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. You know what God's trying to say? He's trying to say, don't mess with the message. He's trying to say, don't mess with the book. He's trying to say, don't add and don't subtract. Don't add anything and don't subtract anything. Every word is inspired. Every word is important. The message of God is important. The message of God has a great impact in changing the lives of every lost soul. You don't need to add anything to the message of God to make it better. Amen? You don't need to add anything to the word of God to make it better. And you can't take anything away from the word of God to make it better. So you know what God says? Just give them what I gave them. Amen? Just give them what I gave them and what I gave everybody else. Just give them the same thing because you can't make it better by adding anything. You can't make it better by taking anything out. So just give them the same message. Sometimes people wonder, your book is very old. I say, yes, it is very old. It was written a long time ago. But you know what? It's still just as relevant today. People are still saved the same way. And the end is still going to be the same. Nothing's changed. People are still sinners. People still need to be saved. Satan is still working. We still have a church that has a message, that has a mission. Everything is the same. That's why in Acts chapter 20, verse number 27, it says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You need all of the word of God, amen? Not just the part that feels good. Not just the part that you like to hear. We need all of the word of God. You need to read all of the word of God, amen? You need to get into the word of God. The preservation of the word. Fourthly, what I see is the promise. Verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith. Jesus has a message. And he says this. His, this is his last word. Surely I come quickly. There is a promise that Jesus will return. There is a promise that Jesus Christ is going to come again. And it is a sure return. Surely I come quickly. Because of the guarantee of Jesus' return, our life should be oriented around his return. Our life needs to be centered around the return of Jesus Christ. If you would center your life on the fact that Jesus is going to come again, it'll change your life. It'll change how you live. It'll change what you do. It'll change how you think. It'll change how you talk. It'll change how you spend your time. It'll change how you spend your money. If you center your life around the return of Jesus Christ, 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Verse 3. And every man that hath this hope. Every person that has the hope that Jesus is coming again, 
Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. If your life is centered around the hope of the return of Jesus Christ, it'll change how you live. And Christians who expect the return of Jesus change their lives. Scott Kelly is uh, he's a, an astronaut, and he was part of a NASA experiment in 2015 going into 2016. So many of you have, may have heard about Scott Kelly. He was up in space for 340 days. And he was in space for 340 days because he was part of this experiment. Now, I didn't know this, but Scott Kelly has an identical twin who also happens to be a NASA astronaut. And so they participated in this experiment where one brother was going to go up in space and they're going to be there for almost a year. The other brother will stay on Earth and they're going to see any differences that happen between the two brothers. They're going to take some, you know, tests and all of these things before he goes. And then they're going to monitor him and they're going to monitor the brother for 340 straight days in space. Scott Kelly was there doing different things, whatever he did, and then he came back to Earth. And they studied everything about him. You know, they took DNA tests and all of the, the they studied his genes and they studied, all, they studied everything. They took, you know, bacteria samples and they did everything. They, they studied everything and, and uh, some of this was, was known before, but one of the interesting things that I learned is that you lose bone density in space, all right? Your bones become less and less dense, less and less solid the longer you are in space. And they estimate that you lose about 1% of your bone density per month. Every month, you lose 1% of your bone density. So over the course of a year, you'll lose 10, 12% of your bone density. Now, if you're going to live in space, if you're going to go up into space and live in space for the rest of your life, do you need bone density? Not really, right? You're just floating around. What do you need bone density for? You just touch the wall and it pushes you this way, you know? You just squeeze a water bottle and it pushes you the other way. You don't need bone density. You don't need strength. You lose muscle mass as well and all these things. If you go up into space and you live in space for the rest of your life, that probably doesn't matter to you. But if you're going to go up into space and then you're going to come back to Earth, it probably matters to you, amen? Right? You're going to think, hold on a second, I can't be in space that long because if I come back to Earth after too long a period, I won't be able to do anything. Right? I can't get in a car accident. Every bone in my body is going to break. I may not even be able to walk. Somebody touches me and I fall over, every bone is going to break. That's a problem, right? That's a big problem. And you can't just recover bone density. You know, if you lose muscle mass, you could kind of work it out, but you can't really recover bone density that easily. If you go up into space and you stay there forever, it probably doesn't matter. But because of the return, it matters. You know what? If you're going to live on this earth and that's it, that's the end, you can go live it up. 
Hey, if you're going to be here on earth and that's all that there is, you can do whatever you want. You can spend your time however you want. You can spend your money however you want. You can, you can think and say and live however it is that you want. But if Jesus is going to return, that makes a difference. If Jesus is going to return and be the judge, that's going to change how you live. It's going to change how you think. It's going to change how you spend your time. If Jesus is going to come and give a reward to those that live for him, it's going to change how you live today. It's going to change how much you give, how much you serve, how much you live for God, how much you witness all of these things. You know, I have two children right now. And me and my wife, we spend a considerable amount of time thinking about their future. We think about the future of our children. Where will our, our children be 10 years from now? Where will our children be 20 years from now? We think about, you know, maybe not that exactly, but we think about, well, what's going to happen? What kind of job? What kind of career? What kind of things will they study? Who will they marry? All of these kinds of things are considerations. We, 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 we think about their education. We think about their education because we know it's going to determine their future. What kind of job, what kind of college they'll be able to go to, what kind of job they'll be, be able to get, those kinds of things. That's important to us. So we think about it. We think about her work habits. We think about her, you know, studying and learning and memorizing. We think about these kinds of things. We think about her character. Because you could be the smartest person in the world, but you still need to have good character. So we think about character. We want her to be hardworking. We want her to be kind. We want her to be generous. We want her to be forgiving. We want her, we want her to, to be these kinds of things, our children. And so we think about these things, and we think about, you know, her future family and all of these kinds of things. And so that, that determines in a lot of ways what we do with our interactions with her as a parent. As parents, we're considering her future. We're considering, you know what, she needs to be kind, so we're going to take some time to apply biblical parenting to teach her what it means to be good, what it means to be kind, what it means to be generous, what it means to be forgiving. It's a lot of work. We take a lot of time considering her academics and make sure that she's learning some things and we practice with her and we sing with her and we do some different things because we know all of these things will have a great impact on her life down the road. But no matter how much time you spend tailoring their education, you get them into the perfect school, no matter if even you can train them up to have perfect character traits, all of this earth is temporary. Everything on this earth will go away. Only what gets to heaven will last. Only the treasures that they place in heaven will be there forever. And so even though academics are important to me, and, and of course character is important, and all of these things are important, the most important thing is, number one, that, be, that she be saved, that she makes it to heaven. The second most important thing is the treasures that she'll lay up in heaven. That's the most important thing. Because all of the things that you lay up for yourself here on earth is going to go away, but the treasures that you lay up in heaven, they'll be there forever. We as Christians need to center our lives around the return of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be soon. He says, surely I come 
quickly. I remember as a kid, you know, thinking about future years, you know, thinking of actually as a kid and as a teenager, thinking about the year 2020, right? Because your eye vision is what? If it's like perfect, normal, it's 2020, right? So that number is kind of burned into your brain, at least it's burned into my brain because I had glasses as a very young kid and I lost that vision very early. And so the number 2020 was, you know, important to me because it's something I didn't have. But then I was thinking, oh, the year 2020, wow, that'll be such a funny year. You know, 2020, everybody's going to be talking about 2020 vision and 2020 vision, this and, you know, things down the road. And I remember as a kid thinking, oh, that'll be funny. That's so far down the road. And in three days, we're going to be in 2020. In three days, we're going to be year 2020. It's amazing how quickly time flies. I have a three-year-old child, and I look back on some pictures, and I think, wow, that was three years ago? That felt like yesterday. That felt like last week. And time will fly quickly, and before you know it, Jesus will be here. James chapter 4, verse 14, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. And notice the response of John the Apostle to the proclamation of Jesus Christ, surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to come. I guarantee I'm going to come, and it's going to be soon. And John says, yes! I want you to come. I want you to be here soon. I can't wait. What's your response to the word of God? When you hear the preaching of the word of God, when you read your Bible, what's your response? Is your response, amen, that's good. Amen, I want more. Amen, I can't wait for that. You know, I'm not the most vocal person. You know, some people are real vocal. You know, they just say everything and they're, you know, real loud and, you know, excited and things like that. I'm not that kind of person, right? So when I hear preaching... I don't always say amen, but in my heart, there's an amen, right? You know? You've been there, right? I think our, our church is, you know, we've got a lot of people in our hearts, we say amen, right? <laughs> amen? <laughs> amen, okay, all right. <laughs> all right? You may not vocalize it, but what's going on in your heart? When you read the Bible, are you excited about it? Are you looking forward to it? Does your heart say that's good. Give me some more of that. Or are you seeking to avoid it? We see the promise, and lastly, we see the power. Verse 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Really, if you want to know how the work of God gets done in believers, it's through his grace. Paul was told by God, my grace is sufficient for thee. Grace for salvation Grace for sanctification, grace for witnessing, grace for standing for God. All of these things require grace. So if you're going to ask God for something, ask God for his grace. Grace in your family, grace for your marriage. Grace as a parent, grace as a family member, grace as a church member, grace as a, a witness of Jesus Christ, grace as a teacher. 
grace as a son or daughter of God, just to simply follow his commands. 2020 is coming soon. We're heading into a new decade. It's going to be a lot of exciting things, a lot of unknowns coming down the road. But God already knows what happens. And he's given us a message. If you're lost today, the message is, come to Jesus Christ and be saved. The message for believers is, Jesus is coming again. And let's take that message. Let's receive the message. If you're lost, you can be saved today. You can know that heaven is your home. If you're a believer here today, take in that message and allow it to change your life.